faith works. The message of James. Some of you are familiar with the book of James and his writings, and some of you are, are familiar with Paul and some of his writings. And there's always been this tension between faith and works. I mean, James talks over and over again about how faith needs to express itself in words, in actions, in works. This tension between faith and works. Many believe if you have enough good works, they're going to cancel out all your bad stuff and you get into heaven because surely it's a scorekeeping thing. God keeps score and as long as the pluses outweigh the minuses, you're good, but it doesn't work that way. Family, God doesn't grade on a curve. He demands nothing but 100% perfection, which means we're all hopeless. Aside from Jesus, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, for Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. At First Alliance, we are all about Jesus. We're not about making a name for ourselves in this city. We're not even about making a name for the Christian Missionary Alliance. We're certainly not about making a name for me. But we're all about Jesus. Much of the Protestant Reformation was an attack on this idea, this heresy that you can do enough good things to get God's approval. That your works are what gets you saved. But the fact is, again, no amount of good works can get you saved. You're not good enough unless you're perfect. Ephesians says it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that nobody can boast. Praise the Lord for his amazing grace. If we were good enough to earn God's approval then Jesus did the most ridiculous thing in dying a brutal death. It would have been a waste. Have you ever thought about that? If you're good enough, then Jesus didn't have to die. But he did, because you're not, and I'm not. The book of Romans declares this. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus's, through Jesus, Christ Jesus. And yet Jesus' half-brother James boldly says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Or as the late Rich Mullen said, Faith without works is like a screen door on a submarine. It just ain't happening. We are not saved by our works, but our works are an expression, they're evidence of genuine faith. So many have misunderstood this word believe in John 3.16. Most of you can quote John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes shall not perish have everlasting life. That believes, we, we, we've come to think, well, if I believe in my head, that's all I have to do. All I have to do is just believe in my head and go live like, like, live like everybody else, and then when it, all the chips are down at the very end, I'll just say, well, I believed. 
I prayed the prayer when I was a little child. I cried tears at summer camp on Friday night at the campfire. So I believed. James says, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Family, this is one of the most sobering verses in the whole Bible for me. Because we know demons are not going to spend eternity with God. They know that Jesus is real. They know he's the son of God. They know he died and rose from the dead. They are, they are more sure of it than you and I are. And yet they have not chosen to obey the one simple command that Jesus said, which was, follow me. Believing is about following. It's about our faith in action. Dallas Willard once said, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. We can't earn our salvation, but it doesn't mean that we just pray a prayer and go on. The message of Christ is follow me. We sang it just a few moments ago. Where you go, I go. Where you serve, I'll serve. Who you love, I'll love. I will follow you. And I wonder this morning, are you truly a follower of Jesus? I didn't say, do you attend church for an hour on Sunday? Because you guys can all check that box this week. But what about the rest of the week? I, I heard a, a report this past week that, that people that read the Bible once a week, their lifestyle, their behaviors, their amount of the seven deadly sins as done by research is exactly like the rest of the world. Exactly like the rest of the world. The amount of use of pornography, the amount of gambling and addictions, the, the uh, amount of uh, cheating on taxes, the, the amount of gossip and slight. I mean, just go down the whole list. The world and church people that read the Bible once a week, it's almost exactly the same. But they did a little research and they discovered that people that read the Bible daily have a remarkably different lifestyle. A little plug for Bible reading today. And I'm not saying that the secret to following Jesus is to read a verse a day and, you know, you did your duty. But what I'm saying, family, is when we are devoted to Jesus Christ, when we let him consume our lives, when he is not just Savior but Lord, we begin to change. And our faith and our works go hand in hand. As I've so often said, there's just a lot of vampire Christians that only want Jesus for his blood. They want to call him Savior, but not Lord. Let's pray and we'll dive in together. Jesus, I thank you for your blood. I thank you for your body. I thank you for the cross and I thank you for the empty tomb. And, and yet, Lord, I know that I and all of us need to do more than just have mental knowledge, intellectual understanding. You're calling our lives to look different. You're calling us out of the darkness and into your marvelous light. You've called us to be in the world, but not of the world. 
Lord God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. My Lord, Rock, Redeemer, King, Savior, Master. Open our hearts, our minds, our hands, that we may look more and more like Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen. Some of you like alliterations. You like blanks to fill out. You know, we, we, most every Sunday in your flyer, there's some blanks to fill out. But today, if, if you like alliterations, if you like those four, four things that all start with the same letter, which is not my forte, but this is your day. All right, here we go. We're going to dive in together. First thing James tells us in this passage is to pray when you suffer. Four points today. Pray when you suffer. How many of you have ever suffered? All of us have prayed when we've suffered, or at least we suffer. Maybe we forget to pray. James says this, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Pretty simple. You don't need a seminary degree to figure out what that means. But is that always your first response in the midst of the suffering? I know it's not for me. I mean, sometimes it is. But sometimes in the midst of suffering, I get angry. I get frustrated. I tell other people. I gossip about how I've been wronged by somebody. I want to take stuff out on social media. Maybe I've had a really bad situation. I want to shake my fist at God and say, God, why? What are you up to? I don't understand. Fix it. When I get sick, usually my first impulse is to grab some medicine before getting on my knees. And yet James says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. These people were experiencing hardships, by the way. This is first century. These are Jews that had converted to Christianity to the way of the Messiah. A lot of them left their families, their, their, their culture, their community to follow Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah. I mean, we know suffering today, but not like other people on our planet at this moment. He says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Last week, Pastor Mike, he talked about suffering. It's a part of life. And dare I say, it's often a part of God's plan for our lives. Now, not self-inflicted suffering. But often the pain, the experiences, the things that we encounter that we want to just eliminate from our lives are often God doing a work, a, a refining work If you ever hear prosperity heresy saying God wants you happy, healthy, and wealthy at all times, check out. Jesus knows suffering. And he promised that we would know it too. Yet we're so surprised when it happens, aren't we? I think in our culture especially, we are just used to comfort and pleasure and convenience. We want everything on demand, our way. I think, I think all those hamburger commercials have done us in, actually. You deserve a break, have it your way. I mean, there are, we're freak out when gas prices go up. And, and while people in Ukraine... We bellyache when our favorite brand of toilet paper is sold out at a store. We moan and groan about the silliest things. 
Are any of you suffering hardships? I know some of you are really suffering this morning. You're suffering deep, true hardships. And the message is really simple. You should pray. Before we go any further this morning, I feel like we need to just pause and and take some time to pray. So would you bow your heads? Those of you online, please join us as well. And I want to just guide you through some prayer this morning. And the first thing I, I want to say is if you are suffering this morning, pour out your heart to God. What's on your mind? What's on your heart at this moment? Tell him. Now let's think about our church family. Many are sick, struggling, dealing with hardships of many kinds. Just take a moment and pray for our church family members or even biological family members that are suffering today. We think of our nation and all the challenges that our nation is facing right now. Hardships. Pour out your heart to God. And then we think about our world. People that seem so far away, we see their faces on screens. Many just a phone call away. Pray for our world. Lord, I admit in all these things, I feel so helpless. Certainly when I think about Ukraine and Russia and the situation there, that it, it's just so overwhelming. We want it to go away. We want to fix it. We want to help. Your word says we begin by praying. Lord, have mercy. Have mercy in this war. Have mercy on our nation. Have mercy on our church family, those struggling and suffering. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen. Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. The rest of verse 13 says, Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. 
He doesn't say only praise when you're happy. God is worthy of our praise all the time because God is good. And all the time, I said, God is good. And all the time, all right. I know you missed that hour of sleep last night. Just got to keep you going. All of us have moments of suffering and all of us have moments of happiness. And God wants us to engage him in both situations. God wants us to share both with him and with one another. Romans, it says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. It seems like we're really, really good at mourning with those who mourn. Coming alongside people when they're sick and praying for them and helping them out, maybe delivering a meal. The rejoicing part, sometimes envy gets in the way if we're really honest. Oh, nice. you got that, that's, that's your new, that's your new car. That's a little nicer than my. I'm happy for you. Oh, you got you got that job. That I applied for that job. (laughs) Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who, who mourn. The point is this: praise when you are happy. I sing because. I'm happy, I sing because I'm free, and his eye is on the sparrow, he's watching for his chance for me. Some of you know it. By the way, this is why we sing on Sundays and elsewhere, it's a command. Now, we don't just sing because it's a command, like we have to, we're robots. We are encouraged, we are commanded, we are exhorted to sing, to praise the Lord. Now, we praise Him in a number of different ways, but one way we do it is by singing and praising the Lord. I know some of you guys are great singers. Some of you, you can't carry a tune in a paper bag. But that's okay, because the Scriptures say to make a joyful noise. And some of you can make a joyful noise. I've heard you. But here's the thing. It says that we are to praise, that we are to, to, to lift up our voices and sing. And over and over and over again, we're commanded in Scripture to sing and declare God's goodness. And the more we do that, he doesn't need the reminder, but often we do. By the way, this is also why we pray. It's usually not to change God, it's to change us. Because when we realize who we pray to, all of a sudden our issues, our problems seem so small in comparison. I know a guy who makes it a habit every single Sunday in another state. He shows up 30 minutes after the service starts every week. He told me once, he said, I don't like to sing. I just go in for the sermon and I go home. I'm like, where does it say you have to like to sing? There's a lot of things in the Bible I don't like. A lot of things in life I don't like. I don't like to floss. I know it doesn't say in the Bible, but it says take care of the temple. But since when do we just blow off commands of Scripture to fit our own consumeristic impulses? It says when you're happy to praise the Lord. I don't care if you don't like worship music. God does. So we're going to do it right now. Stand.
You can have a seat. It is a good thing to praise the Lord. I need to catch my breath. Okay, we're halfway there. Pray when you suffer, praise when you are happy. Now James circles back to suffering and prayer, and he says this, Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Family, we believe in the power of prayer. Each week, our elders are available right up here in front, to pray with you. Every week we do this. Uh, it, it used to be a tradition back in the day that, that, that this would happen once a month, and we'd say, hey, once a month if you'd like prayer. And we'd say, well, once a month? We need to make this available every week. And so every single Sunday, 52 weeks a year, whether we announce it or not, if you would like prayer, we invite you to come to the front row and there are elders and other, other leaders in our church that would love to pray with you, pray for you, in obedience to this simple command. To pray, to be anointed with oil by the elders. Now, we don't see 100% instant healing of physical bodies. But I can tell you, we've seen some miracles. We've seen God heal people. And it's not always just physical things. We've prayed for marriages that are on the rocks. We've prayed for people that have had emotional challenges. We've prayed for people that, that needed jobs. We've prayed for people who aren't even here physically present, but we've prayed for them on behalf of somebody. And it's a joy. It's a privilege. This is what the body of Christ is all about. This is how we love and serve one another. We pray for one another. And let me just say again, there's power in prayer. He doesn't always answer when we desire. He doesn't always answer how we desire, but he always answers our prayers. James said earlier, you do not have because you do not ask God. Again, when we suffer, when we're sick, we are to pray. God is not a genie offering on-demand responses to our petitions, but he does hear and he always answers in his perfect timing. I have to tell you, I have a lot of questions for God 
There's a lot of things I don't understand. There's a lot of prayers I've prayed I haven't seen answers to yet. But I can tell you this, I've also seen God has been faithful time and time and time again. He can be trusted. And if I could do one thing for you this morning, I think what I'd like to do is just elevate your faith, to lift up your faith, that you would be able to believe that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or dream or imagine. I want to tell you a story that happened this week. See, there's a group of us, there are seven, seven families at First Alliance that have taken on this challenge of resettling an Afghan family. And you're all invited to participate with this, by the way. And if, if you're like, what, what do I do or who, who do I talk to? Well, you can talk to me or... Well, actually, if you're a part of our team, would you just stand up real quick? You know who you are, seven couples. Just stand around, okay. Just, just so you, you know, pick someone near you, whatever. Uh, but, but this week, uh, I have to say, my faith was weak. I'll just confess that to you. So we're in this process of, we're working with Water for Ishmael, who's working with Samaritan's Purse, who's uh, getting funding from the U.S. government to provide uh, resources for these Afghan families that are coming over from Afghanistan. And it's, it's a remarkably challenging thing. I mean, you have people coming in, they don't know the language, they don't know the culture, they don't really know anything. And we've been receiving some great training. We had a, a meeting this week from Water for Ishmael. And, and just excellent. There's uh, about 10 other churches in our community that are working to adopt or, or resettle an Afghan family. The thing that's really tough right now is housing. Because trying to find someone that'll, that'll take a family with no credit and rent to them, well, a lot of you know it's hard to find housing if you have good credit. But imagine a family with no credit and no English skills. So I, I, I didn't even plan on doing this, but <laughs> I just have to share this because this kind of blew my mind. Uh, so Sarah Pierce uh, posted to our group. We have a group Slack text thing. And she said, praying Ephesians 3.20 over our Afghan house this morning. I can share this, right, Sarah? Okay. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> says, uh, praying Ephesians 3.20 over our Afghan house or housing this morning, Jesus, may you be glorified greatly. And I'm like, Ephesians 3.20, I'm sure I know that verse, but I had to look it up and I posted it for everybody in case they didn't know like I didn't know. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so I, I was thinking about this and I prayed. I'm like, okay, Lord, do something great. You can do it. And I kind of went on my day. And I really thought, these ladies are a little audacious, you know. Okay, yeah, God, do a miracle. Oh, yeah, whatever. We have all these needs. I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming what needs to take place. And we're still waiting. The family, we have to get housing in place before they can come. So then Sarah, a couple hours later, posts this. She said, Jean, Oram, and I saw God show up in some really cool ways this morning more than we could have asked or imagined. Both Middle Eastern markets are open to our family members working there. The guy behind the meat counter volunteered to translate for us, gave his phone number. He'll come to the airport, and in his words, call anytime, I help. Awesome. 
While we were talking, another guy showed up and said, we'll help. The family can stay with us. Like what? Obviously, some things to talk through if that's a good option. But the hospitality that was shown was just amazing and so encouraging. And he went on to talk about they've got their contact information. Like all this stuff just like blew up in their face in a good sort of blow up in your face way. After posting to our team, hey, pray, we've got this. We're, we're, they're just going to some markets to kind of check out food resources, halal markets and things. And then free translation and housing operation. Like all this stuff just happened because they prayed and trusted God. And the story's not over. I'm just sharing that with you, family, because it's, it's a work in progress. But I, I just about fell off my chair when I read all this stuff, and, and then I was, so, I was so frustrated at how weak my faith was when they had posted earlier about God's able to do a measure. Yeah, I, I know that, I know that. And then he, he proved himself again because that's what he does. Praise the Lord. Where am I? Such a prayer. When we pray, we need to pray and believe that God is able to do things. It says, if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven, which seems like an odd thing. Wait, we just want healing. What is the, the sin business about? Well, God throws that in as well. See, if, if all God ever did was forgive sins, that would be more than enough. If he never answered our, our miracle prayers, it would still be enough because let's face it, all of, our, all of our prayers, all the things that we want, all the burdens, the stuff that's on your mind right now, the prodigals, the pain, whatever, whatever you're dealing with this morning, the stuff that we prayed for moments ago, none of that's going to matter in 80 or 100 years. But this sin-forgiven thing, that's eternal. If the sickness is related to sin, which it often is, it can be forgiven. And James moves into this thing talking about professing your sins. Confess your sins. He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. It doesn't say confess to a priest. Not that that's like an evil thing to do. It doesn't even say confess to God because God already knows. Though there's some great freedom when we... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will cleanse us and will purify us from all unrighteousness. It says, confess to and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know, scientists are discovering just now what we've known for generations, what Christians have known for, for centuries. That you can't separate the physical part of our lives and the spiritual part of our lives and the emotional part of our lives. If you live with guilt and shame, it's going to burden you and, and perhaps cause physical ramifications. If you have bitterness in your heart, it's probably going to affect your heart. Sometimes our suffering is the result of sin. Our sin may be someone else's sin. It's not always the case, but many of our ailments and pains are consequences of sin, which is why God hates sin. It says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great 
power and produces wonderful results, which is why I'm so grateful for those of you that are prayer warriors, that pray for me, that pray for First Alliance, that pray for our staff and leaders, that pray for our nation, that pray for our world, because your prayers are powerful and they produce wonderful results. First Alliance is a church of prayer. One of our core values says that we are devoted to prayer, the word of God, and following Jesus. We're devoted to it. We just don't do it. It's not a part-time thing. We are devoted to prayer. We have Zoom prayer each weekday at 9 a.m. Elders are available each Sunday morning here. We start every elder meeting with extensive prayer, not one of those, okay, let's say a quick prayer so we can dive in. No, we take time to pray every time the elders gather. We do the exact same thing every Monday when our staff prays. We always start with wins and share how God's been good, and then we go right to our knees and we pray, and we have extended time of prayer. Our staff meetings are not short because we pray. It's worth the time. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Our life groups are probably the best place to pray for one another, to engage in prayer, to do life together. If you're not in a life group, we've got about 15 of them. Go to our website, sign up for one. We'd love to have you connected because there's no way that we can do life together staring at the back of heads and rows on Sunday morning for an hour. It's not enough. First Alliance is more than this hour. It's 24-7, 365, and our life groups are the primary way that you can connect in community, that you can pray for people, that people can pray for you. And yes, in many cases, so that you can be healed. I could spend all day telling stories of the prayers of righteous people producing wonderful results. And I just say, hallelujah. James goes into an example, a really concrete example of this, talking about the life of Elijah. And he says, Elijah was a human as we are. Sometimes we put people up on pedestals, prophets and people in the Bible. Notice he says, he was human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. How's that for an answer to prayer? I hope none of you pray that. And then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and and the earth began to yield its crops. By the way, you can read all about this in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's a powerful, powerful story. Pray when you suffer. Praise when you're happy. Profess your sins. And lastly, James says to pursue the wanderer. We live in a culture that seems increasingly independent. People don't want to get involved with their business. And for good reason. I must admit, I'm not a huge fan of confrontation myself, but I'm often reminded of this wonderful book title. I believe the author's name was Lewis Smedes, and the, the book was called Caring Enough to Confront. Caring enough to confront. James says this, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from the wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Now, this is not about self-righteously judging other people, but rather about loving, about looking out for the best interest of another person. And by the way, it's not always nice. Somehow people think that nice is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not. Kindness is, gentleness is, 
love is, but not nice. Sometimes love can be outright violent. I remember I loved my kids. They were little. I took them to the doctor. Doctor stabbed them with the, and they said, ah! They looked at me. You did this to me, Dad. Like, I know it hurts, but it was not to harm you. See, I vaccinated my kids when they were little out of love. Yanking the boy's arm before the truck hits him while he's running to get the ball in the street. Doesn't look nice, but it's love. Some of those most loving things that have ever been done to me have caused me discomfort, pain, sometimes even hurt, constructive criticism. Hey, I love you. I love you so much that I want to are you okay? Hey, I, I, I love you so much. Can I speak some truth into your life? Hey, I, I, I love you so much. Can you help me understand what that was all about? Confrontation? Yeah. Comfortable? No. Loving? Absolutely. Family, we live in a world right now that is filled with people. I, I don't want to say just young people, although it does seem like most of them are younger people. Then again, every day that passes, there are more younger people in this world. <clears throat> to me. How many, of you, how many of you have heard this expression, deconstructing faith? Just to show hands. Okay. It's running rampant right now in our culture. There are young people and not so young people that are deconstructing their faith. They've, they've turned off, they've been turned off because of the poor behavior of Christians. I'll just leave it at that. We have an opportunity, a unique opportunity to show the love of Christ, to woo people back, not to church, not to religion, not to a particular pastor or Christian celebrity, but to bring them back to Jesus. There are millions and millions and millions of people in our nation right now that have wandered away from the faith. Some with really horrible stories, very justifiable, emotional, convincing arguments. But Jesus never failed them. And I dare say in every case, they made an idol out of a person or a, a, a denomination or a religion or a church and they missed the one that they were supposed to be worshiping, which was Jesus. I pray, family, that you never put me on a pedestal because I will fail you. I am not the one around here to be worshipped. Our staff, we are not perfect people, but we're serving a perfect God. 
and all we want to do is point you to Jesus. I'm reminded of Jesus' words. He said this, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. That's not an easy thing, by the way. Especially if they don't listen. And if they don't listen, then take one or two others so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. By the way, it never says to gossip to others. It never says if you have an issue with someone to take it to social media. It never says that. The goal is always restoration and reconciliation. And that's James's point. He says, if someone wanders away and is brought back, you can sure, be sure that whoever brings that sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. I saw this post recently about the deconstructing. I just want to share this with you. It says, many people reject Jesus because of bad experiences with religious people. True, very, very true. But here's the thing. Jesus had bad experiences with religious people too. In fact, they killed him. How's that for a bad experience with religious people? People will let you down. Jesus won't. I pray that we can lovingly bring people back to the faith. I pray that we can see future generations rise up with a passion for Jesus that we've never experienced before. James says, pursue the wanderer. And I think it's really interesting that this is how he ends his book. These are the last words that he says. Maybe there was an extra page that got lost over the past couple thousand years. I don't know. But this is how he ends his book. His very last statement is to pursue the wanderer, to look out for the prodigals, to bring people back to faith. So to summarize, pray when you suffer. Praise when you are happy. Profess your sins and pursue the wanderer. And I wonder this morning, what's your next step? Which of these do you need to do this week? Maybe you're suffering, you need to pray. It's easy. You know your assignment. Get on your knees, do it. Maybe for some of you, things have been going well and it's, it's really time to acknowledge why. Go ahead and blast that worship music. Sing in the shower. Make a joyful noise. Some of you, you're dealing with stuff because of your own sin, your own junk, and you need to confess it. You need to get it off your chest. You need to repent. You need to follow Jesus. And you need, to, you need brothers and sisters to help you on that journey because you can't do it alone. Maybe you need to pursue the wanderer. Maybe there's a prodigal in your life that you know you just need to have a difficult conversation. Not a judgmental conversation. Not a finger-pointing one. Just a, hey, can we talk? I had one of these recently. You know what? I just asked questions. I mean, I had a lot of thoughts in my mind about, you know, attacks, about things I wanted to prod, and, but I, I just asked some questions. And you know what? In the process of, answer, of asking questions, I learned some things that I didn't know, and actually the situation was much better than I thought. Pursue the wonder. Throughout this book, Jesus' half-brother James offers us timeless instructions for living a God-honoring life. Because 
faith works.